Welcome to What Lurks on Channel X. Uh, sort of. I'll explain that in a minute. But first things first. I'd like to give a brief update on Eric's condition. Uh, as you heard in our last episode, uh, my co-host Eric was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And uh, on December 11th, he underwent surgery to remove it. The tumor was in the center of his brain, above the frontal lobe. The operation was successful, and it was removed completely. So, wonderful to that. Over the past few weeks, uh, Eric's been recovering slowly, but still faster than expected, which is fucking excellent. Doctors couldn't actually know the extent of the possible damage without observing him over, over you know, a period of time. Uh, fortunately, though, he is a strong son of a bitch, and his road to recovery is on the upswing. So it should come as no surprise that he was back to being his own usual sardonic self, which is fucking excellent as well. I can't tell you how excited it makes everybody to see him up and moving and, you know, doing well. Because uh, after a few weeks of not being able to move his right side, he was now he's able to stand and he walks a bit and uh, he's progressing a lot daily, which is amazing. Um, so uh, a few days ago, uh, Eric was moved into a physical rehab facility and uh, he's back to using his iPhone. He's making calls. He's using Facebook. Uh, not as frequently as he was before, but nonetheless, he's back to doing that, which is just awesome so um to sum it up eric's recovering well and hopefully we'll have him back sooner than later uh, i want to thank everyone who's shown their support and reached out to us and eric's family uh, it means the world to all of us as friends and family seeing everyone come together for him um so as i said before please please send any well wishes or messages of support to us through our facebook page or email us at channelxpodcast at gmail.com any words of love and encouragement are greatly appreciated and uh eric is looking forward to coming back to the show soon on that note we're going to move into this week's sort of episode uh in addition to this podcast i'm also an indie filmmaker and recently I completed shooting my latest feature film, which Eric actually did help me out on a little bit. Uh, currently, the name of the movie is In the Shadow of the Imp. That's going to be changing soon, but I can't announce the new name just yet. So, uh, between the situation with Eric and the holidays, I took some time to finish editing the new movie. I'm not done yet, but I made a lot of progress. So, there is unfortunately still no new episode, but... I do still have something for you nonetheless. As some of you may know, I used to co-host a podcast with Mario Melillo, who was on the first episode of Channel X with me. The show is called Mario Likes Movies. Uh, we discussed movies, movie tropes, and all things cult, horror, and genre-related. Uh, unfortunately, through one trial and tribulation after another, that podcast has taken an extended break to return eventually. In the final few episodes of the show, you could actually start to hear the beginnings of what lurks on channel x uh, and i thought i would share one of those episodes with you today so here in this episode from early 2015 we discuss true ghost stories and the movies they inspired in this episode we discuss the warrens and the amityville horror and the conjuring 
uh, the story of Doris Bither, which became the film known as The Entity, and one of my favorite stories of all, uh, The Bell Witch Story, which became the Donald Sutherland film An American Haunting. So listen in to what I guess you would now call an Origins episode of Channel X, and I'll be back at the end. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to the Mario Likes Movies podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us once again this wonderful week. Yep. We're back to the phone calls. We're back to the phone calls. I'm in the kitchen. <laughs> well, while you're there, whip us up something nice to eat. Yeah, food. Yeah, I think Forgot I'm, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to do it. I'm opening the pack. No, don't do it. I opened the pack. Oh, I'm breaking the seal. Pull it. Oh. Oh, my God. They smell amazing. Oh, I'm going to appreciate the hell out of this. Now I need to find a lighter. This is my first clove in two months. Don't do it. It's not my first cigarette. It's my first clove. Teenage suicide, don't do it. Telling you I'm going to appreciate the hell out of every puff of this. Here's a sound that our listeners haven't heard in a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Doubt it. No, no, it is. It is very beautiful. Oh, it's delicious. Yes, it is. I bet. So what are we discussing this week? We are discussing... Discussing true ghost stories and the movies inspired by them. Nice. Yes. And there is a reason we are discussing this topic specifically. Oh, is there now? Yes. Huh. And, uh... Well, enlighten me, sir. I heard of this uh, new channel that's still a secret. Oh, yeah? Did you know? And, uh... Yeah. <laughs> And uh, we're working on a deal. I'm sorry that I didn't tell you this before this podcast, but, I mean, that's just my style, you know, not telling the important people in my life. You uh, bastard. That are totally, possibly form-changing because we struck a deal with uh, these people. Oh, yeah? uh, Stay tuned for that. I'm Mr. Vague, and uh, that's how I do things. That's how you do things. Yeah. But this topic kind of has to do with the kind of stuff... We like to talk about anyway. Like uh, Manny and myself are very big paranormal fans. Whether we believe in it or not, we still love the concept of it. I want to believe. We are wrought in subject matter today. Oh, yeah. And we are wrought with conversation about this topic. And we've discussed it before numerous times, but now it has its own episode. So we are... Gung-ho. Well, one of the main reasons I brought this subject up was because I actually wanted to discuss something specific. There's one movie that, unfortunately, I'm not going to get to today uh, because I didn't get to finish all the research I wanted to do on it, and I'm only partially through some of the documentaries. Um, we may end up doing it later at another time. So we'll just... I, uh, one of the things I'm going to discuss actually ties into that movie. Does it now? Yes. Okay. Yeah, when we get to it, you will briefly talk about it, and I will 
throw my little fact in there because I just found out doing the research. But yeah, proceed. There were one of the big reasons I wanted to. I came up with this idea was because uh, there was a story I heard very recently on uh, on another podcast that I listened to. Um, expanded perspectives. Cheap pop. Cheap pop. Cheap pop. Yeah. Uh, a couple weeks ago, the guys in Expanded Perspectives covered this story, and I thought it was incredible. And oh, yeah? Yeah, so I looked it up, and I said, fuck, I want to cover it myself. Uh, I want to look into it. And I specifically haven't told you what it is because I wanted your live opinion. Okay. So, uh, okay, so here's this story. It's it's about it. It's an EVP story. And you don't really get it a story about an about EVPs, but it's... But this this is very very interesting story. Okay, go for it. Connect four. The subject of the story is, is a man named Rick Dodson. Uh, Rick Dodson was driven by soul rattling personal experiences to investigate a phenomenon in which disincarnate beings are said to speak through electronic devices. For example, some people have said they've picked up a ringing phone and heard a dead relative on the line. Some people have said they've heard spirit messages and the white noise between radio stations, or have seen faces of dead friends looking out at them and speaking from fuzzy television screens. These are known as electronic voice phenomena, and something that's similar to is the the move the Poltergeist movie. The new one, or the all of them. Fuck, it's a, you know images through a te- fuzzy television screen, and yeah. sounds coming through coming through the white noise. Uh, those are EVPs, and you see this on ghost shows. You see it a lot on ghost adventures with their... Um, That's like 90% of their show. Yeah, is the, the spirit EVP. box. Is the spirit box, yeah. Dodson's quest for knowledge was not a popular one when he began it in the 80s. It was a downright odd one to his family and friends in his small town of Texas. Nevertheless, Dodson wrote countless letters and made countless phone calls in that pre-internet era. He got in touch with pretty well everyone who knew anything about EVPs. His quest even extended to Stephen Hawking. Huh? Okay. <laughs> Getting in touch with that fellow was a tough job, Dodson said. He hand-wrote a unique letter to every professor he could contact at Cambridge University where Hawking works, explaining his reason for requesting Hawking's direct contact information. But one wrote me back and said, Here it is. Good luck. I know you tried hard. My name was going around the teacher's lounge there, probably. Somebody answer this guy and get something on Hawking's desk. His persistence earned him a response, but Hawking didn't have any insights on EVPs. In 1980, Dodson spontaneously visited his father from out of town. Shortly after he arrived, his father left the house briefly and the phone rang. Dodson picked it up and a woman's voice greeted him, calling him by the name he used as a child. He was surprised and asked who she was but she would not answer his question. She began relating things from my past that very few people knew, Dodson recalled. She did most of the talking. Each time I spoke, it was as if she didn't hear me, although clearly she did. Her words were sort of shaky at times, but entirely lucid. She talked for nearly 30 minutes, and I kept asking who she was. All she would say is that she could not tell me because I couldn't understand. He became frustrated, and when he pushed the mystery woman to reveal her identity, the woman began to cry and admonish him for poor manners the way his mother or grandmother might have scolded him when they were alive. My emotions were running wild. I was feeling worried, confused, upset, baffled, and frightened, he said. 
Eventually, the woman said it was a mistake for her to have called and hung up, leaving him wondering. His father could not shed any light on the matter. He barely received phone calls and couldn't think who it might be. Several years later, the second occurrence revived his curiosity just as it was beginning to fade. He had moved into a new house and had a new phone number, one he hadn't yet listed nor given to friends and family. The phone rang and a woman on the other end asked for Dodson's mother by name. His mother had died 11 years earlier and had never been in the town he was currently in. Dodson suspected he was in for another strange experience and wanted to remain calm this time to find out as much as he could. He asked the woman to give what information she knew about his mother. The woman was able to give his mother's church, where she had lived, and other personal information. The woman identified herself as Susan Owens, a name that was unfamiliar to Dodson except that it was the name of a teacher he had as a child. The woman became irritated when he kept asking questions and she asked why he wouldn't put his mother on the phone. He replied that his mother was dead. She was silent for a moment and then she simply said, Oh, this is Ricky, isn't it? I know she's dead, Ricky, and I need to talk to her. She apologized for calling and it was a mistake and said she couldn't explain to him because he wouldn't understand much as the caller years earlier had done. Asking around, he could not place a Susan Owens in his mother's life. About six months later, Dodson experienced EVP of a different nature, this time involving a cassette player instead of a telephone. He got the urge to listen to a cassette tape his friend Bill had sent him years earlier and which he hadn't listened to in a long time. The tape jammed up in the middle of a song. The whole tape player stopped working. Dodson couldn't get any of the buttons to budge, and he couldn't get the tape out of the machine, so he left it. Later that day, he received a phone call informing him that Bill had died that morning in a car accident. I can't tell you why I did what I did next, he says. I walked into my workroom, and straight to the tape player, I pressed the play button, and it went down as easy as a hot knife through soft butter. The tape had jammed in the middle of the song, Wild Horses and when Dodson pressed play, it continued with the line, let's do some living after we die. Bill had died at approximately the same time the player jammed that morning. Dodson hesitated to share his experiences with members of his family, but he was glad to have opened up to his grandmother, who, it turns out, also had an EVP experience. His grandmother and her husband had moved about 75 miles away from their old home. She felt uneasy about it because her daughter, his mother, had died and she felt she was leaving her daughter behind. One night, as she was contemplating this emotion, the phone rang. She picked it up and one word said, Mama. Grandmother told me that she knew it was my mom. She recognized her voice and a feeling ran through her that she described as a burst of knowledge. The feeling told her that my mom was telling her she had come with her to her new home. Fellow experiencers had sent him letters, pages long, sharing their EVP encounters. From a group he joined, he would receive in the mail snippets of EVP recordings captured by the famed Spiricom machine. This machine was built in collaboration by George Meek, who financed Spiricom and Bill O'Neill, the psychic engineer. Dodson wasn't satisfied with the snippets of recordings. He wanted to track down the device used by O'Neill himself and full recordings if possible. 
Through much effort, he did. Listening to and watching video recordings of Meek and O'Neill with the machine convinced him further that the Spiritcom communications were genuine. Dodson decided to try his own EVP experiments. He made some recordings of white noise to listen for voices afterward. He recalled the one and only time he heard something unusual. I ran the volume up to maximum and listened closely. I heard the voice clearly. This part will sound somewhat stupid, but I thought it said either Hello Ricky or of all things, I love Jesus. I know they sound nothing alike, but I could hear both of the phrases on the tape. Suddenly a cold chill came over me, then a blast of adrenaline surged through my body. I realized that I was sitting in my truck at 3 o'clock in the morning with a ghost. He ran to his bedroom, got into bed with his wife. At the time, that seemed like the safest place to be, like a child hiding under the covers to keep the night monsters away. Wow. <laughs> what do you think of that? That's, uh, that's a good way to end the story. Expanded Perspectives got it from a website, epochtimes.theepochtimes.com. Yeah, I've uh, heard of it. This is essentially most of the article. I kind of went through it a little bit here and there. But uh, this is most of the article and this guy and his quest for true EVPs. What do you think of the phone calls? Well, to go along with uh, the movie that just came out called Unfriended. Yep. The big thing in that movie was that if the dead try to contact you, it's bad fucking news. (laughs) And I've always felt that that's very odd as a phenomenon and the thing is like this happens yeah it's not even like it's orbs that can be explained or some kind of bullshit like that no this shit happens all the time yeah whether it's provable or not evp happens well see this guy this guy sat and had a conversation over the phone for a half an hour with this woman Mm -hmm. the part that really got me was when he told her that his mother was dead, and she said, I know she's dead, and I need to talk to her. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. It's like, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know what to think about this. I mean, this guy has dedicated his the rest of his life, the, the, the next 30-some-odd years of his life, to investigating EVPs based on these two instances that occurred to him. So he obviously believes that they really did happen. Yeah. What do you think it could have been? Well... What could a possible explanation be for this? I mean, this woman didn't have... He didn't know her. He said it sounded like... He said he had a teacher by that name when he was young, but he couldn't place her in his mother's life at all. And obviously this woman called him. His phone number was unlisted, yet he had just moved in. And the phone rings, and it's this same woman who had called him seven years earlier and uh, uh, still asking for his mother. And at the time, his mother now has been dead for 18 years at this point. I figured it out. Huh. The non-scientific version. Spirit of a teacher he forgot about calling his mom to talk to him about his behavior or grades in school. That's how. Huh. So then, okay, so, so basically the spirit is calling him directly. Wherever he is, that phone will ring. Mm-hmm. Is what you're, what you're kind of saying doesn't matter where he is that spirit is trying to contact him and he could have been at a payphone at a gas station and that phone would have rang yes how many times you think a phone rang for him then 
over the course of the years. If that's true, how many times do you think that there was a ringing phone near him that he did not connect to the fact that he had to answer it? Uh, quite a bit of times, I would suspect. See, but that again, the part that still gets me is when he tells her his mother's dead, He says, she says, I know she's dead and I need to speak to her. That's the part that gets me right there. That's some creepy shit right there. Yeah, uh, it's pretty creepy. Like, it's hard to scientifically explain that because people will just say the guy is crazy. Yeah. And it was all in his mind. That's basically the explanation you're going to get. So, yeah, maybe it, maybe it's quite possible this guy imagined the whole thing. But that's pretty. that's a pretty crazy thing to imagine. This guy was the first guy who brought EVP to light, though, right? No, I don't. No, no, no. No, what he ended up doing was he ended up researching people and found that this was a thing. He didn't realize it was a thing. And over time, he realized that people have been investigating this for years, and he he started finding the other equipment to do it. And he's been doing it himself ever since, and he only got just that one time that he got those two voices that said, Hello, Ricky, or or, I love Jesus. Hmm. It's funny, because again, the EVP he did pick up, almost seems like it's talking to him. And he said, and now I realized I'm sitting in a truck listening. I'm sitting in my truck with a ghost. And that freaked him out. Who could have been the woman calling him. Which, yes, which is, which I think that's, I think that he may have had the same inclination. That that kind of, he may, he may have made that connection. It doesn't say whether it was a male or female voice. It just says that he heard the voice. I remember you got that EVP once, but you didn't actually record it. You missed it. Yeah, I thought I got it. I think I recorded the after, where I'm like, shit. Which is funny, because you're shooting a show about ghosts. Uh-huh. And she's dressed as one. Yeah, and she's dressed as a ghost, and you guys heard a voice. It hissed at us. I was informed that there was a uh, crotchety old man spirit in the rec center that we shoot uh-huh. a, lot of sh- a lot of stuff in. The story that I choose to believe is that this guy had dementia when he died and doesn't know he's dead. And he just wanders this rec center because it's a senior center. Yeah. I don't think he knows he's dead. Huh. And he hates young people. <laughs> and he hates disrespectful whippersnappers. Like you. Uh-huh. So we asked him some questions. We said, hey, if you want to talk to us, we're here. We know you're lonely. What do you want to talk about? And with no noise uh, contamination, we heard... Kind of just about like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and Chell, it was clear as day right behind us. Got goosebumps. She was freaking out. Yeah. The footage you have is actually after you heard it. The footage I saw anyway, what you showed me was like after it. You thought that it was recording, but apparently it wasn't. Yeah. And then you hit, and then whoever it was, must, I, I think you were holding the camera. I think that's what it was. You may have just had it reversed. You thought you were recording, but you weren't. And then after you heard it, you went to hit stop and you actually hit record. So you recorded your whole, then whole next two minutes of you guys just freaking out over hearing that sound. <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was the, I'm, I'm going to be totally 100% honest here. That was the first time I ever went quote unquote ghost hunting. Mm-hmm. Even though I have the show about you know ghost hunters and stuff, and I've been to scary places before, but I've never actually tried to get really? in contact. 
with any, I was just along for the ride the other times. I was like, oh, cool, we're doing this. And I'd see the people go, oh, show yourself and throw this, throw this one at me if you're here. You know, my friend always taunted spirits when hmm. we went places. Oh, and, I've uh, done it. I've done it before. Yeah. Not with so, equipment, but I've done it. Yeah, that was the first time I ever tried to talk to a supposedly dead person. And it worked. Thing. And uh, I got something. And it wasn't, I, I just, I checked, I did all the, uh, the noise checks outside because there were some people, but they had driven off at that point. Yeah. And I even told Chelsea, I'm like, wait, there's people outside before we ask questions. Uh, and then we, we got a noise behind us and we just looked at each other and I saw her hand started shaking. And that's when I recorded and I thought I was recording the whole time, but I was not. But yes, that's uh, that's my EVP experience. And then I tried it again with Brad, and I got nothing. <laughs> but yeah, I have uh, successfully, in my eyes, captured, and at least I've heard a paranormal yeah. noise coming towards me as a response. Huh. I've also seen stuff, but we'll save that for another episode and another topic. I think it's my turn. Now it's your turn, sir. Okay, well, we're going to go with uh, a controversial uh, subject. Okay. Because, again, um, this is a very polarizing type of topic anyway. Mm-hmm. Because you and I both know how we feel about things. Um, but for some reason, I've discussed this on Facebook Actually, the reason I remembered it was because on Time Hop, a year ago to this day, well, yesterday, I should say, as of this recording, yesterday, as of this recording yesterday, I posted a topic saying, I don't understand why people are so venomous when it comes to paranormal discussions. Now, that, you, can, you can say that about anything, racism, sexism, any topic where there are two sides, for yeah. the most part, you yeah. can, by all leaps and bounds, say, oh, yeah, well, uh, this and this because of that, and so on and so forth. Fine. But in my experience, whenever you ask someone if they believe in ghosts, you get two responses. You very seldomly get the, I don't know, which... In all honesty, is probably the best answer you can get. Because if you get the venom answer, you're just turned off. If you get the oh yes, you're turned off because that's all they fucking talk about. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I've never seen one is probably the best answer I'd ever want in uh, in that situation. Now the thing I was going to mention that I posted on Facebook. I posted, why is it that everybody who does not believe in ghosts is extremely adamant about telling people how dumb and retarded they are? Word for word, someone, that was the way they mentioned it, that so-and-so believes in spirits or demons or something. Mm-hmm. A woman you and I know, who, I, who will remain nameless, uh, she said... Because, uh, funny enough, the movie Annabelle 
was being made and was being discussed, and that's actually what I'm getting to next. She said someone, oh, she she was watching a paranormal activity movie, and then one of her friends was like, oh man, if you like that, are you going to check out Annabelle? Her reply was, why? I'm looking at it right now because I pulled it up because I had to explain word for it. Why the fuck would I ever watch that stupid shit? And then he replies with, well, you're watching Paranormal Activity, so I guess, you know, you like demons and all that, ghosts and stuff. She's like, you've got to be fucking retarded to believe anything like that. Word for word. This is what she said on Facebook. You've got to be fucking retarded to believe in that shit. Okay. And then, and then people egged that on. This other guy? Yeah, people are pretty dumb nowadays, and if you believe that, you can go along with them. And the thing is, she's not the only person that's like that. That guy, like I told you about the former producer from Pandemonia. Yeah. I was telling him about the Spice Files, and then I told him that about what I saw with Dane when I thought I hit some girl with my car, but it, it was like she was blue and I drove right through her. He called me fucking retarded, too. Hmm. He's got, he said, well, he didn't say fucking retarded, but he was like, you got to be pretty stupid yeah. if you believe that stuff. And I'm like, uh, okay. Now that we are on the, people are really hateful on the I don't believe in ghosts uh, bandwagon, or they're super ultra annoyingly excited about it on the I do believe in ghosts bandwagon, mm-hmm. on the opposite side, uh, we're going to talk about the Warrens. Ed and the Warrens. Warrens? Yes, because they have spawned many a film. Many a film. That they have. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they're like the foremost ghost investigators. Even before yeah. the movies, they were famous. Yeah, and hated, extremely hated. Yeah. By their own kind, too, which is even funnier, in my opinion. Well, there seems to be a lot of that kind of thing. I mean, okay, well, let me explain it. Ed and Lorraine Warren are a married couple from Connecticut, and they... Lorraine Warren is said to be a psychic medium. Yeah. And uh, whether that's true or not, uh, left to your discretion as an audience listener. I personally believe that people have abilities, but I do not think they can predict the future. They can maybe see glimpses of a possible future in my eyes. Mm-hmm. They might be able to see things, not see, but feel things that shouldn't that they shouldn't feel, like like a third eye kind of thing. But I do not believe that people who read cards and psychic readings, it's all bullshit. But Lorraine Warren is said to be a medium that can feel things and sense when something not good is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Ed Warren was one of the first, if not the first, I don't think he wasn't the first, but he was acknowledged by the Vatican as being a non-seminary demonologist. Uh-huh. So he was not a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, but he was acknowledged by them as a demonologist and could perform the rite of exorcism without being part of the clergy. Yeah. I don't know if or there are any others out there now that can do that. I assume there are, but he was one of the first 
as far as I know. And Ed Warren died a while back. He's no longer of this mortal coil, like I said before, with uh, Miss Trainer. But uh, Lorraine is still alive and still like does events and talks to people. Mm-hmm. Now, the, way, the reason the Warrens are famous, people call them charlatans, crooks, money grabbers, fakes. Um, most of these people are religious or atheists. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Uh, the reason um, they call them fakes is because they were the paranormal investigators brought into the Amityville Horror, which is the first movie that was that we are talking about uh, of the subject. Amityville yeah, and we've, Horror. We've talked about that before. That 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 I I've really I've really switched over to the other camp where I I'm really I mean as much as I think that the Amityville Horror is an awesome story. Uh, I've kind of jumped camp into the, I think that it was all made up for publicity and to sell books and movies. Yeah, and that's where the Warrens lost all credibility yeah. to these people was this case. The Amity of the Horror tells the story of George and Kathy Lux and Kathy's children who moved into a house in Amityville, New York. Lux claimed that the house was haunted by a violent demonic presence so intense that it eventually drove them out of their home. The Amityville Horror conspiracy author Stephen and Roxanne Kaplan characterized the case characterized the case as a hoax. Lorraine Warren told a reporter to the Express Times that the Amityville Horror was not a hoax. The reported haunting was the basis for the 1977 book The Amityville Horror and the 1979 and 2005 movies of the same name. Primarily, um, the stories coming out as hoax, and even worse, the fact that George Lutz may have had a part in the actual murders themselves. Previously, so it's wait, wait, not wait, wait, wait. Say that again. Say that again. Yeah, that documentary Miami Evil Horror that's on Netflix. There's a potential, like this is technically conspiracy theory, also because there's no proof. But George Lust apparently knew the DeFeos, and there possibly was a connection huh. to the murders. I can't confirm or deny this, but it is a conspiracy theory. Wow. This case, which, again, the movies we just discussed, if you haven't seen them or heard of them, you're probably living under a rock because the 2005 remake of the 1979 movie was a big success. Yeah. Millions of dollars made from the Amityville Horror remake. And it wasn't that bad. It was scary. Uh, the acting was pretty good. Uh, Platinum Dunes made it, so it was quality. Had a budget. But it's, that's just for entertainment purposes. Uh, the actual case is based on real murders that happened in the house. Whether or not you believe that Ed and Lorraine Warren are legit or fake, this is the case that broke them in the not-so-good light eventually in the 80s. Yeah, which is why I started with the EVP thing. I wanted to talk about a true story first. Yeah. And, and especially because Poltergeist is out now, and it was... In my head, it was relevant. Yeah. <laughs> if people don't think it's relevant, well, Neither have us tough have shit. Seen it yet. No, I heard it was terrible. I have not I heard, heard a single good thing. thing about it yet. I heard the same. And, uh, okay, so we have uh, Amityville Horror, obviously. Yeah. Then the next we have was the 1971 haunting in Harrisville, Rhode Island, of the Perrones, or Perrins. P-E-R-R-O-N. Mm-hmm. This family was haunted by a witch who lived there in the early 19th century, Bathsheba Sherman, 
curse the land so that whoever moved there somehow dies. It is the subject of the 19, oh, I'm sorry, the 2013 film, The Conjuring, which was directed by James Wan. Mm-hmm. And uh, this movie also made a shit ton of money. And uh, Lorraine Warren actually appeared as a cameo role in the film, and yep. she was a consultant on the film. The fact of the haunting were exacerbated for the film, obviously. The current owner of the home has collected her own research and that of several investigators with whom she has worked refuting the stories of witchcraft and tragic deaths at the house. Yeah. This is The Conjuring. In the beginning of The Conjuring, you see a little bit of Ed Warren's uh, relic room in the beginning of the movie and you see there's a doll in glass and it's it's they the Annabelle the story doll. of the doll. And that is the next film. It is called Annabelle. Which is a prequel to The Conjuring. It was. Yeah, I mean, and, it's not uh, officially a prequel. It really has nothing to do with each other. It's just, it, yeah, it just takes place before The first before the Conjuring. It is only loosely based yeah. off of just the lore of the doll. Yeah, and at the end of the movie, you have Ed and Lorraine Warren receiving a telephone call about a house in Long Island that is supposedly haunted and that they're going to go investigate that next. I kind of like how they how they combine those. I, I like how they did that. In the beginning of it, you see Annabelle. At the end of it, you hear about, about Amityville, and Amityville was already a movie, and then Conjuring was the next one. Maybe James Wan will redo the Amityville movie. I think that would be good. I think he can well, do it. If anyone's going to redo Amityville horror, I think it could be him. The uh, the next Conjuring, the Conjuring Two, yeah. uh, that is based off of an English case that they investigated. Yeah, the end. It might be the Edinburgh haunting. Enfield. Enfield. Okay. Yeah, but that's a Warren case as well. But uh, I won't go into that now because the movie's not even out yet. No. The Annabelle doll is pretty much um. In The Conjuring, they explain what the doll is in the beginning of the film. Uh, Ed Warren, played by Patrick Wilson, explains what happened to these girls who have this doll. They were... This doll was around, and the doll would talk to them, these two college girls, and it said its name was Annabelle. And she said she was a little girl that died in the building... Uh, Annabelle Higgins, Higgins and uh, they said she can live in the doll. Mm-hmm. What that meant was that this demon that was actually pretending to be this girl now had a physical manifestation. And the doll reportedly uh, attacked one of the girl's boyfriends in real life uh, while he was sleeping and cut him up with a piece of glass. And uh, that's what the movie's based. Like, the this is the story the movie is based on loosely. Yeah. And the real Annabelle doll is actually a Raggedy Ann doll. But because that's copywritten and you can't use it, they had to change it to this weird-looking porcelain. Oh, yeah, they went with that one because it looks a little more childlike, so I guess it's creepier. And I, and I guess... um. I'm going to assume that they tried to get the Raggedy Ann rights to use it, and the company said, hell no, you are not going to tell the world that our our doll is haunted. (laughs) Yeah, but 
if you look online, you can see the real Annabelle doll, and it's a Raggedy Ann doll encased in glass. Yeah, I'll have a picture of that with the, the, the there's a picture the rest, of that with the posting of the podcast. The dress is the same, though, on the Raggedy Ann doll than it is on the movie one. It's the long white dress on that doll, which is weird, but that's what it is. And the last movie... Well, it's a white and blue dress. It's it's pretty typical for old, for old uh, dolls. Yeah. The next one, which... Uh, it was called The Haunting in Connecticut. In 1986, Ed and Lorraine Warren arrived and proclaimed that the Snedecker House, a former funeral home, to be infested with demons. Mm-hmm. The case was featured in the 1992 book In a Dark Place, The Story of a True Haunting. A TV documentary. I'm going to call it a documentary because it felt more like that than a TV movie. called A Haunting in Connecticut appeared... In, uh, yeah, there's a haunting in Connecticut and the haunting in Connecticut. Yeah. yeah. A haunting in Connecticut was the documentary I'm talking about. It was put on the Discovery Channel in 2002. Yes. Which produced the series A Haunting. The second one was called A Haunting in Georgia. Which, which is ridiculous. <laughs> a Haunting yeah. in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia. It's just, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> the film itself released in 2009, The Haunting in Connecticut was horrendous. Fucking horrendous. It's so bad. But that you know, movie was based on this actual event. You know, I and don't think TV I ever TV saw movie, that movie. What the The Haunting in Connecticut? Yeah. It's I've seen awesome. I've seen the T V documentary. I've seen that. I don't think I've ever that seen one the movie. Was awesome. The T V documentary is so awesome. Yeah. It's really cheesy, but it's They awesome. based an entire series. They ended up doing a whole series on it. Yeah. But it wasn't based on that one case. It just it spawned a whole series. I think the show was just called The Haunting. Hell, I think it's still on. Well, the Haunting in Connecticut family was Alan and Carmen Snedeker. Moved in with a daughter and three sons while exploring their new home. Carmen found strange items in the basement, tools used by morticians. They soon discovered that their home had once been a funeral parlor, and the eldest son began seeing ghosts and terrifying visions. The experiences spread to other family members and got worse. Both parents said they were raped and sodomized by demons. One day, as Carmen mopped the kitchen floor, the water suddenly turned blood red and smelled of decaying fish, and so on. Finally, the family contacted uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who arrived and proclaimed the Snedeker house to be infested with demons. Yeah, and uh, apparently this haunting uh, is also criticized by an author, Ray Garten, who wrote an account of the alleged haunting of the Snedeker family in Southington, Connecticut. Uh-huh. Later called in the question of the veracity of the accounts contained in his book saying the family involved, which was going through some serious things like alcoholism and drug addiction and cancer, did not keep the story straight, and I became very frustrated. It's hard writing a nonfiction book when all the people involved are telling me different stories. So that family came to question as well. Yeah. yeah. So, and the one son had cancer, and actually he recently died. He recently died of cancer. Okay. I didn't know that. Didn't... Yeah, the 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 son that the haunting in Connecticut was based off of the one the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't really mention that he was sick with cancer in the TV show. They said he was just sick. Yeah, but in the movie, it was very apparent that they wanted to make 
it a fact that he had cancer. Yeah. Now the story here, this is very similar to the to the Amityville backstory here. Uh, the story in a dark place, the story of a true haunting, written by uh, Ray Garten in 1992, was the story of them. Garten was head by hired. See, this is this is see this is why they lose so much credibility. Garden was hired by Ed and Lorraine Warren to work with the Snedekers and write the true story of the house from hell. Ed and Lorraine Warren worked with so many goddamn writers. This is why they lose their credibility. Because they work with writers to create books. They go hire, they go find a writer. Oh, here, write a book about this. And we get paid tons of money. Um, yeah. He interviewed all the family members about their experiences and soon realized there was a problem. I found that the accounts of the individual Snedekers didn't quite mesh. They couldn't keep their stories straight. I went to Ed with this problem. Oh, they're crazy, he said. You've got some of the story. Just use what works and make the rest up. Just make it up and make it scary, Ed Warren said to him. Garton accepted the job expecting to have a true story to base the book on. Did as he was told. He says, I used what I could, made up the rest, and tried to make it as scary as I could. Though the Snedekers stand by their story, it seems there is little or no proof that anything supernatural occurred at the house. Whether or not the Snedekers believe their story, they stood to make money from the book deal. They were aware that the Lutz family profited handsomely from the selling of the rights to their true story of a haunted house, and the Amityville Horror has since been revealed as a fiction by investigator Rick Osuna and, other, and others. Interestingly, the Warrens were also involved in the Amityville case. So this guy, so the writer of the original book actually admits that he made shit up for it. And that their stories, the stories of the family, didn't match up properly. That their stories didn't coincide. Ugh. You know, and it's like, as time goes on, you start to see more and more that the Warrens really were just publicity hounds. They were telling stories, and they were making money off of people, and that's pretty much it. Which really sucks, because uh, because they were so big and so popular for so long, but at the same time, if you really think about it, since then, when has any of this shit occurred? It hasn't. It really hasn't. You get a bunch of TV shows that we all know are bullshit. We know the TV shows are bullshit. Anybody who watches these TV shows, the Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures and uh, uh, all these other things, anybody who watches them and thinks that they're real, you're out of your mind. Okay? Uh, the true fact of the matter is, if these shows were real, there would be more than enough proof that there is life after death. And it wouldn't be a question anymore. It, okay, well, look at this. We have multiple ghost hunting teams all over the world with all this evidence. We have entire TV shows with bricks being thrown and voices coming out of nowhere and walls rumbling and glass breaking and all this crazy shit happening on TV shows week in and week out. If this shit were real, it wouldn't be a question anymore. They would be real, true scientists doing this shit. Not just a bunch of people with video cameras and and uh, a radio you know, little handheld radios doing this. You would have true-to-life, real scientists. You'd have Neil deGrasse Tyson out there doing ghost hunts if these fucking TV shows were real. Am I right? He's actually pretty nice about the subject. No, he is. He is. But he's he's pretty nice yeah, about a lot of things. He's very, he's very open to a lot of ideas. But if these TV shows were real, you're damn right he would be on one of them. 
Oh, yeah. He would be there with his team of people and a $10 million fucking grant to try and prove this shit. Yeah. The last... Uh... The last haunting they did was in Pennsylvania of the Smurl family. Uh-huh. Uh, the Smurls reported their home was disturbed by various supernatural phenomena, including sounds, smells, and apparitions. The Smurls also uh, reported that uh, a demon, a demonic entity, sexually assaulted the both of them. And the Smurls' version of their story was the subject of a 1986 paperback titled The Haunted and a 1991 made-for-TV movie of the same name directed by Robert Mandel. And uh, now that uh, we are on the subject of Incubi and Succubi, (laughs) Incubus being a male demonic entity that feds women in hopes of birthing the Antichrist, and well, I don't know about the Antichrist specifically, but yeah. A succubi, or succubus, being the female version of a demonic entity who sleeps with men to get them to be cheaters and disgusting. Yep. And to drain their soul via ghost vagina. Ghost so, vagina. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you have anything to add to uh, the Incubus and the Succubus? Well, that was the one movie that I wanted to discuss that I didn't do too much. Uh, I couldn't get too much research on was The Entity. The Entity was a movie that came out in 1982 or 83 or so with uh, Barbara Hershey. And it's basically about this woman who is repeatedly attacked and raped by some sort of demonic entity in her house. Um... I don't believe the Warrens had anything to do with this story at all, but there were uh, investigators that came to came to the house and they did. Yeah, apparently got a lot of uh, they got a lot of evidence. This was in um, Culver City, California, in 1974. Okay, uh, near Hollywood. Yes, Doris Bither suffered abuse uh, from her parents as well as had several abusive relationships with men. There was tension between the three young boys and and her, her you know, her three children and and her. Psychodynamics of the home were extremely negative. Seems that the boys, especially the eldest, would harbor some dark and resentful feelings towards their mother. The unconscious mind that is troubled by a physically or verbally abusive environment and negative upbringing is like a lightning rod to paranormal activities, either attracting poltergeist activity or psychosomatically creating it. Doris Bither claimed that spirits would physically attack her. The reports range from Doris walking around her home bumping into ghosts to actual spectral rape. Um, And as we're seeing now, this is... What is this now? The third one that we just picked up that had the same type of thing occur in the 70s. Which yeah. is really weird. There's a, apparently apparently demons got really fucking horny. I guess it was all those drugs. Uh, what's really cool, I, I don't want to get into this too much because there's a lot. There's a lot we, we, we do an entire episode on... Well, you know what? Fuck it. I think we will do an entire episode on spectral rape. I think I think that would be a good idea. 
Um, but uh, one of the one of the coolest pieces of evidence that they have was um, that she could physically see this entity from time to time, and she could hear it. But nobody else around her could. And there was one moment when one of the investigators was with her, and uh, he was sitting there with a Polaroid. And she says, he's here. It's here. It's in the room. And he takes the Polaroid, and he starts snapping pictures. And she's pointing to spots in the room, saying, there he is. He's standing right there. He's right in front of my face. He's literally right in front of my face right now. He's right right here. And he's taking pictures as she's as she's saying that he's there. And all of the pictures come up way overexposed. Like with this really bright, central, like, like almost like a glowing, I want to say a glowing orb, but it's really not like a glowing orb. It's like, almost like there was suddenly the sun appeared in the middle of the, of the photo. You know, you could see bits of around the room, but it looked like there was a really bright spotlight right in the middle pointed right at the camera. And yeah. uh, then you took proven, but I mean, what easily disproven, but yeah, still. yes, they are. And then he would take, and then after she said it was gone, and this was a couple of couple of things. Um, after she said it was gone, he took some control photos, and the photos came out normal. Same camera, same spot, same room. A moment later, sudden one one of them comes up extremely bright and overexposed it's bright light right in front of her face the other one comes out normally uh goes across the room does the same thing two three photos come out very very bright and the others come out normal and they did this a couple of times and uh you can actually you can find the photos online there's uh there's even another photo of it of her sitting in the room and there's this arching like rainbow of light over her head. She's sitting at the, it's a room, it's a picture taken maybe about six or seven feet away from her, and there's this bright rainbow of light that's right over her head. Uh, the problem with the problem with her was that she was also an alcoholic, and she apparently abused her children as well because of her personal abuse, and it kind of went on to the so that's really why things why people really didn't believe her. But yeah, uh, I yeah, but there's a lot of there's a lot of photographic evidence of really strange things happening in the house, uh, auras around her, bright lights, uh, green mists swirling in photos around her, a lot of things like that. So, you know, if you look at it from a parapsychological perspective instead of a scientific perspective, um, you would think now. Think like a demonic spirit for a second. Yeah. I want you all to myself. And the worst kind of person you are, the more I want you, because that's how I am. I'm a horrible, wretched spirit that only wants your misery, and you're a magnet of fucking misery. Yeah. So I want to be near you. And another thing, no one's going to fucking believe you because no one believes I exist. So why wouldn't I go for you? Yeah. That, that's the way you, you look at it when you want to see more than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, that's when people, when I get those vitriolic haters, 
I explain it to them like that because that's the best possible way I could explain it without saying I believe in ghosts. That's the more logical explanation in a spiritualistic slash uh, profound way of proving or disproving, I guess, so to speak. Okay. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I yeah. don't know either, but it's okay. <laughs> so moving on to our final, uh, our final section then. Two things that may be related, but I don't know. Um, shadow people is a huge thing. I love shadow people. I you love see them all the time. Oh my god, I love. Yes, I. I think I do. I don't know what I see. Yeah, shadow well, people. I like. I like that whole. It. I think it's one of the creepiest of the ghost stories. The shadow people thing. Just this moving shadow in the corner of the room, or, or you know, that whole waking up in the middle of the night to see this fucking shadow standing at the end of the bed. Yes. But shadow people, uh, there's no real reports of them being physical with you. They just creep. The creepers. Yeah, they're creepers. Well, there's tons of movies about this kind of Oh, yeah, stuff. there are. There's tons of them. There's a ton of movies about shadow people. Hell, I'm making one right now. Well, yeah. vaguely about shadow people. That's another one. We're going to do an entire episode on shadow people, I think. Yeah. We'll yeah, do a we're whole... back to little, with actual uh, examples besides the movie The Shadow People. Yeah. <laughs> Which was a damn good movie. Have you seen it yet? No. It's on Hulu right now. Just think. It's on Hulu, definitely. And I think it's on, like, the movie channel or Showtime On Demand. I've watched it, like, three times in the last month or so. So it's on one of, the, it's on one of those regular on-demands. You, know you know what sucks? The day that I found that I was... I found the Shadow People when I was looking for Triangle to watch Triangle again, and they took Triangle off the on-demand already. Again. It went up for, like, two weeks, and now it's gone again. That's a fucking movie, man. I just got to buy the Blu-ray already and leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, that'd probably be the best thing. Yeah. So anyway, so let's move into my next subject. This is something, this is one of the coolest ghost stories, like, ever. And they have yet to make a good movie about it. All right? The Bell Witch. The Bell Witch. The Bell Witch. There it's, have been many a films of this. And they report. have not made a single good one yet. The the most famous of them being the Donald Sutherland one in American Haunting, which is just crap. It's probably the best of all the Bell Witch movies, but the movie sucks. It's stupid. Well, I haven't seen the Bell Witch Haunting yet. Oh, I, I've heard nothing but terrible reviews about it, that it's just some amateur found footage crap. Because it's not really about the Bell Witch. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's a modern-day found footage movie. Okay. I will watch it. I'm going to watch it, but it's just... I haven't heard anything good about it. Yeah, me neither. Ghost Adventures recently covered the the Bell Witch. They went to the, uh, the Bell Witch Cave. And they were the first ones ever allowed there. Bullshit. But uh, I digress. <laughs> so says them. So says them. No. See, they chose their words, and they chose their words very carefully when they said that. They said, we are the first ghost hunting team allowed allowed access to film in the Bell Witch Cave. That is true. They are the first ghost hunting team to film 
there, but not the first ghost hunting team to go there. The first ghost hunting team that went there was in like 1990 or 91 or so. And the guy showed up and it was for, I think it was for the sci-fi channel he was doing it or, you know, Discovery Channel, something like that. It was for another ghost hunting show for like a special that they were doing. And the guy showed up with his team and everything. And the guy who owns the area came to the gate to let them like, because there's this gate. You know, everything is fenced off, and the gate says no pictures, no cameras, no nothing, you know? The guy shows up and tells them, um, yeah, you can't come in with all that equipment. You're not going to be able to shoot in here. You're not going to be able to do anything. No, you got to get out of here with the equipment. I'll let you and a couple of your people in, but the rest of you got to go. And he ended up, the the leader of the ghost hunting team ended up, uh, he called the producers and everything, and they were like, look, we're paying you a lot of money to let us in here. You got to have some leeway. They ended up doing, I think they just did some um, EVP recordings there, but they didn't let them in with the cameras. They didn't let them go into the cave. They walked around the ranch. They walked around the house with the cameras and everything, but they wouldn't let them into the cave with the, with the camera equipment. So uh, it sounds like Ghost Adventures paid quite a hefty sum of money in order to do that, which is probably why they're the first ones allowed to shoot there. I mean, they're probably the most successful of all the ghost shows at this point. So they got they got a ton of money. I'd say Ghost Hunters overall, but Ghost Adventures is definitely, in my opinion, my opinion, I can't prove. Yeah. Definitely bigger. I think Ghost now, Adventures is probably. the most entertaining by far. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the, definitely, definitely the most entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> but they make a ton of money, so I'm sure they paid a hefty sum to get in there. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. The big reason the Bell Witch Haunting is so phenomenally known is because it was the first ever recorded death caused by the paranormal in this yep. country. Yeah, it was. And you can you can fill that blank because that's all I know about it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more to it than that, and I have a nice little story I'm going to read about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I believe, what is it? I think this is uh, bellwitch.org. Yeah, bellwitch.org you can find this story on. In the early 1800s, John Bell moved his family from North Carolina to the Red River Bottomland in Robertson County, Tennessee, settling in a community, Red River, which became Adams, Tennessee, many years later. He purchased land in a large house. Over the next several years, he acquired more land, increasing to 328 acres and cleared a number of fields for planting. Uh, His daughter, Elizabeth, was born in 1806, Richard, 1811, and Joel, 1813. Betsy is is Elizabeth. Uh, And one day in 1817, John Bell was inspecting his cornfield when he encountered a strange-looking animal in the middle of a corn row. Shocked by the appearance of this animal, which had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit, he shot several times at it. The animal vanished. Bell thought nothing more about the incident, at least not until after dinner. Yeah, when the Bells began hearing beating on the outsides of the walls of their log house. So they started hearing pounding on the sides of their house that night. After seeing a dog with the head of a rabbit. Yeah, a jackalope, essentially, without the horns. (laughs) The mysterious sounds continued with increased frequency and force each night. 
Bell and his sons often hurried outside to catch the culprit, but always returned empty-handed. In the weeks that followed, the Bell children began waking up frightened, complaining that rats were gnawing at their bedposts. Not long after that, the children began complaining of having of having had their bed covers pulled from them and their pillows tossed onto the floor by a seemingly invisible entity. As time went on, the bells began hearing faint whispering voices, which, too weak to understand, but sounded like a feeble old woman singing hymns. The encounters escalated, and the bells' youngest daughter, Betsy, began experiencing brutal encounters with the invisible entity. It would pull her hair and slap her relentlessly, often leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. The disturbances, which John Bell told his family to keep a secret, eventually escalated to such a point that he decided to share his family trouble with his closest friend and neighbor, James Johnston. Johnson and his wife spent the night at the Bell home where they, sub- where they were subjected to the same terrifying disturbances that the Bells had experienced. After having his bed covers removed and being slapped repeatedly, Johnston sprang out of bed exclaiming, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? There was no response, but the remainder of the night was relatively peaceful. The entity's voice strengthened over time to the point that it was loud and unmistakable. It sang hymns, quoted scripture, carried on the intelligent conversation, and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. Word of this supernatural phenomenon soon spread outside the settlement, even to Nashville, where then Major General Andrew Jackson took a keen interest. Yes, the U.S. President Andrew Jackson. (laughs) Seriously, did you know about this part? No. This is why I find this the most interesting of the whole thing. John Bell, Dr. Drury Bell, and Jesse Bell... Uh, John Bell's eldest sons had fought under General Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. In 1819, Jackson decided to visit the Bell Farm and see what all the hoopla was about. Jackson's entourage consisted of several men, some well-groomed horses, and a wagon. As they approached the Bell property, the wagon stopped suddenly, and the horses couldn't pull it. After several minutes of cursing and trying to coax the horses into pulling the wagon, Jackson proclaimed, By the eternal boys, that must be the Bell Witch. Then a disembodied female voice told Jackson that they could proceed, and she would let them again later that evening. They were then able to proceed across the property, up the lane, and to the Bell home where Jackson and John Bell had a long discussion about the Indians and other topics while Jackson's entourage waited to see if the entity was going to manifest. One of the men claimed to be a witch tamer. After several uneventful hours, he pulled out a shiny pistol and proclaimed that its silver bullet would kill any evil spirit that it came into contact with. He went on to say that the reason nothing had happened to them was because whatever had been disturbing the bells was scared of his silver bullet. Immediately, the man screamed and began jerking his body in different directions, complaining that he was being stuck with pins and beaten severely. A strong, swift kick to the man's posterior region from an invisible foot sent him out the front door. Angry, the entity then spoke up and announced that there was yet another fraud in Jackson's party and that he would be identified and tormented the following evening. 
Now terrified, Jackson's men begged to leave the farm, but Jackson, on the other hand, insisted on staying so that he could ascertain who the other fraud was. The men eventually went outside to sleep in their tents, but continued begging him to leave. What happened next is not clear, but Jackson and his entourage were spotted in nearby Springfield early the next morning, presumably en route to Nashville. President motherfucking Andrew Jackson went there. And it scared him away. <laughs> to continue. <laughs> Over time, Betsy Bell became interested in Josh Gardner, a young man who lived not far from her. With the blessings of their parents, they got married. Everyone was happy about their engagement, except for the entity, who, for reasons unknown to this day, repeatedly told Betsy not to marry Josh Gardner. Betsy and Joshua's former schoolteacher Richard Powell had been noticeably interested in Betsy for some time and had expressed interest in marrying her when she became older. By some accounts, Powell, who was 11 years Betsy's senior, was a student of the occult, although it has not been proved. He secretly married to a woman in nearby Nashville, Esther Scott, during the time he spent at Red River expressing his fondness for Betsy. So he's married to this other woman, telling this girl he's in love with her. According to old accounts, Powell pro politely expressed his disappointment with Betsy's engagement and wished her a long and prosperous marriage. Betsy and Josh could not go to the river, the field, or the cave to play without the entity taunting them persistently. Their patience finally reached critical mass, and on Easter Monday of 1821... Easter Monday? I guess it was Mondays back then. It was a certain day, huh? Betsy met Joshua at the river and broke off their engagement. The disturbances decreased after Betsy ended the engagement, but the entity continued to express its dislike for John Bell and vowed relentlessly to kill him. Bell had been experiencing episodes of twitching in his face and difficulty swallowing for almost a year, and the malady seemed to grow worse with time. By the fall of 1820, his declining health confined him to the house where the entity commenced removing his shoes when he tried to walk and slapping his face when he experienced seizures. Her loud, shrill voice could be heard all over the farm, cursing and chastising old Jack Bell, as she often referred to him. He died on the morning of December 20th, 1820, after slipping into a coma the day before. Immediately after his death, the, found, the family found a small vial of unidentified liquid in the cupboard. John Bell Jr. gave some of it to the cat, which died instantly. The entity then spoke up, exclaiming joyfully, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. He quickly threw the vial into the fireplace, where it burst into a bright bluish flame and shot up the chimney. At John Bell's funeral was one of the largest. As his family and friends began leaving the graveyard, the entity laughed loudly and began singing a song about a bottle of brandy. It is said that her singing didn't stop until the very last person left the graveyard. The entity's presence was almost non-existent after Bell's demise, after Bell's demise as if its purpose had been fulfilled. In April of 1821, this motherfucker is dead and this shit's still going on. The entity visited his widow Lucy and told her it would return for a visit in seven years. 1828, it returned as promised. Most of its visits centered around John Bell Jr., with whom the entity discussed such things as the origin of life, civilizations, Christianity, and the need for a mass spiritual awakening. Of particular significance were its nearly accurate predictions of the Civil War and other events. 
the entity said farewell after three weeks, promising to visit John Bell's most direct descendant in 107 years. The year would have been 1935, and the closest living direct descendant of John Bell at that time was Nashville physician Charles Prentley, Charles Bailey Bell. Dr. Bell himself wrote a book about the Bell Witch, published in 1934. No follow-up was published, and Dr. Bell died in 1945. Uh. So now you know the story of the, of the Bell Witch. I keep calling it the Blair Witch. <laughs> <laughs> well, in An American Haunting, uh, Bell was diddling his daughter, and the spirit was actually a poltergeist of his daughter. Yeah, that's that's spoiler alert. Yeah, they made it seem in that movie as though as though uh yeah, he was um the daughter was the bull with the bell witch, in, yeah. yeah, in the movie American Haunting it starts off with the descendant or someone in the house. People people moved into this house, people who are living in the house now. And um the mother finds the diary of John Bell or something like that in the in in the attic and um then we flash back to the 1800s where we see where we see the story of John Bell. There is no Andrew Jackson in the story. And uh, most of the kids are not really bothered much by the entity other than John and the daughter. Those are the only two that are really affected by the entity. A few other people see things and hear things, but the only, they're the only two who are really affected by it. The, the, this haunting took place over a couple of years the movie seems like weeks like it started in 1817 and it continued until 1820 so we have three years of this that they lived in this house with this haunting the banging on the walls and the singing went on for about a year before all the the physical encounters started occurring and that's when he called his friends over. That was about a year into it. So they lived every single night hearing banging on the walls and trying to catch someone outside, and they never did, for a year straight. And um, so, yeah, in the movie then, it kind of implied that well, it basically said that John Bell was raping his daughter, and that was probably the main reason for all of her bruises and everything that was on her, that he was this horrible, you know, daughter rapist. And then the movie ended with the, with the, the mother in now times, in present day, seeing the ghost of John Bell's daughter there and she realizes that her own daughter just got in the car with her estranged husband for the weekend and realizes, oh my God, he's going to rape my daughter now. And as she runs outside to see the car, she sees the car of the father and her daughter driving away and the daughter's looking very sad and upset in the window and, no, stop, 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 as she runs down the street chasing them and the movie fades to black. As though running down the street chasing the car was not going to stop him. I mean, really, she like ran after this fucking car and she's obviously chasing the car. Like if you were driving, you would see it. And and he's just going to drive away like, no, fuck you. I'm raping her tonight, whether you like it or not. <laughs> that is my job. This is my job. That is my job. <laughs> but um, 
No, there is absolutely no evidence to state that John Bell had anything, any sort of sexual relationship with his daughter at all. There is nothing, no historical evidence to that whatsoever. The movie put that in there because they thought it would be a, it'd be a Hollywood twist in the end. Yeah. Well, the guy who also made that movie, uh, yeah, not exactly the best, uh, source of movie making. He, uh, he directed the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Well, yeah. Courtney style. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. He did Captivity. Butterfly Effect 3, one of your favorites. Oh, man, he did that? He did oh, Perkins man. 14. Huh. Wait a minute, I thought that movie was called Perkins 13. No, Perkins No, it was Perkins 14, yeah. I was about to say, is this a sequel? He's only directed three movies. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, American Haunting, and Getaway. Getaway? Oh, the Ethan Hawke movie, huh? Yeah, yeah. He's only directed Bad those. Boy. Okay, he he produced he produced Captivity, he produced Butterfly Effect, and Perkins Fourteen. Perkins Fourteen was a good movie. Eh. What really? You about it? really, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. That's because you touch yourself at night. Well, that's neither or here maybe nor it's there. The ghost. Maybe it is the ghost doing it. Maybe it's the incubus trying to get in that pants of yours. Hmm. So I'm upset the fact that there has not been a good Bell Witch movie yet. I think this is one of the coolest stories. I really do. I think it's one of the coolest haunting stories. And the fact that Andrew Jackson is involved in this, the fucking president of the United States. Andrew motherfucking Jackson. Yes. A president. How much more of a credible source do you need? The president of the United States before he was president, went there and was scared off by this thing. Like, this is in his diary that he was there. In his own personal writings, he has his own personal account of it. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. That's a pretty solid alibi right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty fucking solid, I think. So. I confers. But yeah, it, there, it's just like, how many good Lovecraft films are there? I mean, very few. Yeah, no, it's true. It's really true. The last thing I want to talk about before we call it a night is a lot of people confuse the different types of paranormal films there are. Uh-huh. Uh, people predominantly uh, see demonic possession as ghost story and ghost story as demonic possession and what have you. Yeah, like uh, paranormal activity, you can think of it as a ghost movie, but then it turns into a demon movie, Conjuring. Thing. What's so so cool about Paranormal Activity that they turned it into a demon story? That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Wreck also started like a zombie movie, turned into a demon movie. Love it. <laughs> I haven't seen part four yet. I have to see it because three, three I was not crazy about, but the other guy directed part four, so I have to see it. And part four picks up again at the end of part two, which is great. The, the reporter's in it and everything. Yeah, it's, uh, it's on Netflix. Yeah, I know. Apocalypsis. I can't yep. wait for it. I don't know because I remember when they when when the two directors were both said they wanted to do a sequel. When they did part one, they did two, and they were like, "Oh, well, we both have ideas for 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 the next one. One of us wants to do a prequel. One of us wants to do a sequel." So they just split the duties, and one directed part three, and the other one directed part four. Part three turned into a pile, turned out to be a pile of shit, as far as I'm concerned. I thought it was cool. It's just kind of 
didn't really add anything. It was such a typical zombie movie. I thought it was stupid. I really didn't like it at all. I was like, this is this is dumb. It was just a yeah. typical zombie movie. I liked the lead actress, but the ending was just really obvious. Yeah. And, like, didn't really do anything for the rest of the movie. You know what I mean? It was just like... Yeah. Okay. No, no, I agree completely. And the point of watching this was... Yeah. So... Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I, I like watching all this kind of stuff. It's one of the biggest trends in current Hollywood is uh, it's a big moneymaker, religious uh, horror of, like, any sort. It's primarily Christian horror because... It is. Not many movies are made about, you know, gins and Hebrew uh, demons, I forget what they're called. You know, yeah. just uh, Christian evil. Oh, there was another one that we missed. We didn't really get on. We wanted to, but we didn't. What? Oh, uh, the possession with the Dybbuk box. That's a Jewish. Uh, yeah, and that's another period. one. We could do a whole episode on the Dybbuk box, and we probably will one day. That could be a cursed object. Uh, well, we kind of, we, we did it on the most haunted objects. We did cover it quite quite a bit on that too. So we'll get to that yeah, eventually. Well, that was just a reading. So. Yeah. You know, we date, we talked about that article. There's way more stuff than that. Oh, there is. Either way, uh, I think that's it for this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope everyone was nice and creeped out by some of these stories. Uh, yeah, even if you're not creeped out, check them out, and yeah. then get creeped out when you read about them. Yeah. In your dark room by yourself at yeah. night with with something with a shadow person right behind you, laughing at you. yeah so for the Mario Likes Movies podcast I am John Bell and I am the ghost of raspberries sure and uh, we'll see you next week on Mario Likes Movies yeah take it easy welcome back I hope you all enjoyed that episode Uh, so Channel X may return in two weeks, but honestly, it all depends on if I can schedule a day to record with one of my prospective new co-hosts. If not, I will actually have another episode for the Mario Likes Movies Archive, which will discuss more weird and horrifying things that go bump in the night. So one way or another, you will hear from me again in two weeks. I'll lead you out once again with some new music from Without You, I'm Hunting Them. For those of you who have seen The Eightful Eight, This is their latest track entitled The Death March of Domerge. So, we'll see you again when Channel X returns. Until then, stay spooky, everyone.